Right, ladies and gentlesteens. Welcome, that's not a thing. Welcome to Daily Power Parsha. This is our daily look at the Torah portion. Today is January 6th, 2021. It's a Wednesday. We're going to focus on the fourth reading of our Torah portion, which is the portion of Shemot, the first in the book of Exodus. So, I'm going to pull up the screen. I'm going to share my screen with you, and we are going to rock and roll. Before I do that, though, just a quick reminder. Yesterday, we read about, well, we read about the birth of Moses, Moshe, a few days ago. Yesterday, we focused on the three coming-of-age stories that the Torah chooses to tell us about Moshe. Now, I, I, I don't think I emphasized this yesterday, but let me emphasize this today. Moses, Moshe, was 80 years old when he was appointed by God to lead the Jewish people out of Egypt, 80 years old. Now, between you and me, a lot of things happened to Moshe in those 80 years. A lot of things happened to him. The Torah, though, chooses three episodes to tell us about his character. It's not by accident. It's not by coincidence. It's not by, you know, some... It's, 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 it's designed to tell us a message. And what's the message? It's clear when you read the stories that who is Moshe, who is Moses, what's his character? A defender of the underdog, a defender of the, the, the vulnerable, a defender of the weak, someone who steps in when someone needs to step in. He's not a guy that looks around. Well, he did look around, but that was only before he acted, not to see if there was anyone else to act. He's not a guy that says, well, is someone else going to do something? Then I'll join. If not, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang back here. No, he takes action, takes definitive action. He's the right guy. He's the right man for the job for this whole exodus situation. That's just my opinion, but as we'll see soon, God agrees with this assessment. Sharing my screen with you, let's pull up the fourth reading and study it together. All right, thumbs up if you can see it. Yes, yes. Hold on, am I getting any thumbs ups? There we go. I got some thumbs up. Exodus chapter 3. Okay, awesome. Exodus chapter 3, verse number 1. This is the episode of the burning bush. Episode of the burning bush. But before we do this, I need to tell you a joke. The story goes that President, the original, pre, the OG President Bush was visiting Israel. And he lands in Ben Gurion Airport. And he's in the airport, and he sees from across the, I don't know, what do you call it? Across the uh, concourse? Concourse? Is that what it's called? The concourse? No, no, no. In the, in the building. In the building. Concourse, yeah. He sees in the concourse, not to be confused with the Concorde, which was a plane, whatever. He sees in the concourse, he sees a guy who looks exactly like Moses. He's, like, he, he's in Israel, just landed, and he sees a guy the beard, with the robe, with the staff, with the sheep, the whole deal, whatever. Right? He sees a guy that looks like Moses, wearing like a Moses. He says, Moses. No answer. He gets closer. He can't believe his luck to see Moses somehow transported from the past. Anyway, he says, Moses, not answering, gets up, gets up close to him, says, Moses, is that you? Moses turns and says, shh, what do you want? He says, Moses, how come you didn't answer me right away? He said, look, last time I, t I spoke to a bush, I got stuck Leading the Jewish people got stuck in the desert for 40 years. Anyway, that's the joke. But now let's read the origin story of the burning bush. Here we go. 
sharing my screen. Chapter 3 of Exodus, verse number 1. Moses was pasturing the flocks of Jethro, his father-in-law. If you recall yesterday, he's also called Reuel. But I told you, don't be, don't be confused. Even the Torah uses both names for this fellow, for this father-in-law fellow. So again, Jethro, Reuel, either way, that was his father-in-law. And he was pasturing the flocks. He was a shepherd for his father-in-law. The chief of Midian, remember he was the, the chief priest of Midian. And he led the flocks after the free pasture land. I love that. If you, do you remember the, the dispute between Abraham and Lot's shepherds about whether they should, the animals should graze in only public land, uh, ownerless property, or also privately owned fields? Anyway, it's a, it's a value. It's certainly a, a human value and a Jewish value not to steal, not to have your animals eat other people's food, other people's land, uh, food in, the, in their land. So what did Moses do? He led the flocks after the free pasture land. And he came to the mountain of, of God. I don't know, I was about to read that goad. No, he came to the mountain of God. It's called Har Halokim to Horeb. Chorev. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, appeared to Moses in a flame of fire from within the thorn bush. And behold, the thorn bush was burning with fire, but the thorn bush was not being consumed. This is the famous description of the burning bush. It was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed, which is a very unusual appearance. By the way, in a moment, after we kind of read a few verses into the story, I'm going to circle back and give you some mystical insights into the description of this burning bush. But let's continue inside. So Moses said, let me turn now and see this great spectacle. This is kind of um, what he said to himself. Wow, what a weird thing. Why does this thorn bush not burn up? Verse 4, the Lord saw that he had turned to see. And God called to him from within the thorn bush. And he said, Moses, Moses. And Moses replied, here I am. And that is the same word, hineni, that we found multiple times throughout Scripture when God calls certain human beings and they say, here I am, absolutely, 100%, I am present, ready to go. That one word in Hebrew, hineni. I'm not distracted. I'm not texting. I'm not otherwise preoccupied in my thoughts. Hineni. I'm right here with you. So God calls Moses, Moses, and Moses says, Hineni. Why does God call Moses twice? According to the commentaries, it's a Lushan shel chiba. It's, a, it's an expression of love. Calling someone's name twice, at least by God, is a, um, is a, is a sign of, of love. A parent calling a child by all the names in the family is not a sign of love, but a sign of forgetfulness. I'm kidding. Joking. That was a joke. Um, all right. So back to our regular scheduled program. Right, Shalom? I mean Mendel. Okay. Good. Let's, um, let's jump right in over here. And he said, God said to Moses, do not draw near here to this burning bush. Take your shoes off your feet because the place upon which you stand is holy soil. So here we have so many interesting little breadcrumbs of information that we're going to pick up soon. Take off your shoes because you're standing on holy soil. Wow. 
Let's continue. And God said to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. In other words, the real deal. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look toward God. By the way, as you'll recall later on in Scripture, later on in this book of Exodus, after the sin of the golden calf, and after God forgives the Jewish people, Moses famously asks God, show me your face. And God replies, you cannot see my face and live. But here, Moses intuitively, uh, instinctively knew that he could not look toward God directly, so he hid his face. Let's continue. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their slave drivers, for I know their pains. In other words, God is saying, I am very well aware of what's going on to my people in Egypt. By the way, here God calls the children of Israel my people. Is that the first time that God calls the Israelites my people? It's possible. It's possible. I don't recall it being specified being expressed like this before, but it could be one or two times before, but this is certainly a, another expression of love and, and concern and care. So I've seen the affliction of my people. I've heard their cry. I know their pains. Let's continue. I've descended to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land. In other words, I'm in the process of making this happen, of getting them out, bringing them to a good and spacious land to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Prezites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six out of seven nations. And now behold, God continues to Moses, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the, the oppression that the Egyptians are oppressing them. I'm, I'm aware of it. I've heard the cry. I see the oppression. I'm ready to take them out. So now... That's the setup, and here's the pitch, right? So now God says to Moses, come, and I will send you to Pharaoh and take my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I want you to be the one to go to Pharaoh and get my people out. But Moses said to God, I love that but. However, a great pitch, a great delivery, but Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should take the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? You got the wrong guy. Remember this whole thing about Moses being very humble? This is one example. By the way, there's, there are deeper explanations of this, one of which we're going to explore tonight in Torah studies. But, but Moses says to God, you got the wrong guy. Who am I? Right? Who, who am I to be the, the, the guy that, that represents the people, that goes to Pharaoh, take the people out? God says to him, God replies, for I will be with you. Don't worry about it. You're humble. Don't worry. You got me on your side. God says, I will be with you. And listen up. God says, furthermore, hear this, Moses. This is the sign for you that it was I who sent you. When you take the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Remember, there was a prophecy that the Jewish people ha had, an ancient prophecy that they would be enslaved in a foreign country and then leave um, amongst, uh, you know, pomp and circumstance. So God is saying, tell the people that, that when you take them out, I am go you, 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 when you go out, you're going to worship God on this mountain. That's the sign 
that the people have been waiting for, that matches the prophecy that they've held for a few hundred years from their parents, grand, great, great, grandparents, great-grandparents, etc. Okay, so, so God addresses Moses' concern. Moses asks, who am I that I should do it? God says, I am, I'm with you. God addresses another issue. Furthermore, if the people, if the people um, d- don't necessarily believe, if they think you're making up stuff, so just say, when you, when you take the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So, in other words, that will be the sign to remind people of, of the promise and the prophecy. And Moses said to God, we're not done yet with this negotiation. Moses, once again, comes back with uh, not so fast. Behold, I come to the children of Israel and I say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Moses says, I am not equipped to do this. I don't even know how to answer the simple question, what is God's name? So I'm going to go to the people. So there's one thing, there's, there's two missions here. Let's just, let's just break this down. Let me stop sharing for a second. There's two missions here. Mission number one is to go to Pharaoh and get him on board. Mission number two is to go to the Jewish people and get them on board. Are you with me on that? There's two separate missions. One, you have to get buy-in from Pharaoh. And the second, you need buy-in from the children of Israel. Like they have to believe, they have to follow Moses and support him in this whole Exodus business. So Moses' first point is, you got the wrong guy. Who am I? Why, why, why do you, I'm a, I'm a shepherd. Like, what do you want? So God says, I'm going to be with you. And then God says, and you'll tell the people a, a sign of the prophecy that you're going to worship after you leave. You're going to worship God in the mountain. And that's going to trigger, you know, the, oh, this is legit. But then Moses comes back and says, it's still not going to work. Because I'm going to come to the people. Say, I have, God sent me. I have a mission. And they're going to say, well, what's God's name? And I won't even know how to answer that question. What's God's name? So, so I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm not equipped for this job. I don't, have, I don't have the tools to do this. God said to Moses, let's see God's answer. Verse 14. God said to Moses, Ehyeh, Asher, Ehyeh. I will be what I will be. By the way, that's one translation of it. There are many other translations which we'll explore soon. And God said, so shall you say to the children of Israel, Ehyeh, I will be, has sent me to you. If they ask you for my name, tell them Ehyeh. Trust me, this is raising a lot of questions for me, maybe also for you, which we're going to resolve in a moment. And God said further to Moses, So shall you say to the children of Israel, The Lord, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is how I should be mentioned in every generation. So that's what you should tell the people, and then you're going to get buy-in from the people. And when you stand up to Pharaoh, I will be with you, so you have nothing to worry about. Deal? Spoiler alert, as we'll see tomorrow, Moses is still not convinced, and he still tries to refuse this mission from God. But we've concluded the fourth reading. There's a lot to talk about. I'm going to rewind. I told you we have like breadcrumbs, like like tidbits of information that may have piqued your interest. You may have had a question on some of these things. I want to fill in some information. Number one, what was the context in which Moses encounters the burning bush? So let me share with you, stop sharing, and I'll share with you the context. The co- hey, Mark, good to see you. The context is that Moses was shepherding. And you may have heard this story. There was one sheep, a little sheep, that ran away from the rest of the flock. 
And Moses, ever the attentive and good shepherd, runs after the little guy. And he finds the little sheep near the water and he says, Oi, had I known that you were thirsty, I would have made sure that you had water before without you having to run away and find it on your own. After the young uh, sheep finishes drinking the water, Moses picks him up in his arms, picks up the sheep, and says, you're so young, you just ran, you just drank, you're probably tired, I'm going to carry you back to the rest of the flock. It's at that point that he encounters the burning bush. And our sages tell us it's no accident. God says, if you're so attentive for one sheep, you know, for one wayward sheep, certainly you are the right person to be attentive as a leader to my people um, for every individual. And I need to share with you, so that's the medrash, that's the classic understanding, but let me give you a little Kabbalah in this also, because it's really beautiful. So here we go. Kabbalah says, and Hasidic philosophy tells us as well, that human nature is that when somebody separates out from the group, our first reaction is, let him gain, let him go, right? Oh, you're splitting off from the group? We typically judge it in the harshest way possible and say, oh, we're not good enough for you. Forget about it. Don't let the door hit you on the, on the way out. Right? That's typically how human beings respond. Think about it. Now, you, you, you may think, like what, what, like, what you may be thinking, what am I talking about? Think about it. Think about it. Right? A kid doesn't fit into the school. Right? A person doesn't fit into the community. So what do we say? It's not for you. It's not for you. Do we run after the person or we say, it's not for you? Think about it. You don't have to answer. Think about it. I mean, you could answer. But I, I know the answer. I'm clear on the answer. The answer is, more often than not, we say, let them gain. Let them go. Right? Not for you. It's not a good match. Not for you. The Torah tells us about the conduct, or the Medrash fills in the conduct of Moshe. There was a sheep that ran away. You run after the sheep. You don't say, oh, you ran away. You're out. You run after the sheep. Because what happens next when you run after the sheep, you realize that the reason why the sheep ran away is because the sheep wasn't getting what it needed from the flock. Are you with me on what I'm saying? Because it was thirsty. Why do people leave the community? Why do people leave? Why, does it, why doesn't it work? Not, it's not their fault. It's not their fault. It's our responsibility. When I say they and our, I mean those in the group. I'm not, God forbid, pushing away anybody. I'm speaking in general terms about on the contrary, about being, being more inclusive, right? The problem is when groups have their way of doing things, and if you don't fit, then you, have to, then you have to find somewhere else. And unfortunately, why don't people fit? Because what they're looking for, what they need, is not being provided by the group. So what is the, what is the responsibility of the group? The, the responsibility of the group, especially when we think about Jewish communities and, and, and synagogues and, and schools, etc., this is true for every age level, is make it... Make sure that it's inclusive and make sure that the water that people need is right here. Does that make sense? If somebody's running away, it means they need, they're thirsting for inspiration. Make sure that they have it in their community and they won't need to run anywhere else. It's never their issue. It's our issue. It's our issue collectively. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Okay. Fine. So that's one insight. Again, this, this entire reading, you could have, you know, an hour class almost on every verse, or if not longer than that. I'm sure longer than that. 
Um, but let's let's keep we'll keep brief uh, brief snippets here. I'm sharing my screen again. So that's that's that. Now the second verse talks about the description of the burning bush, that it was on fire, but it was not being consumed. Our sages tell us that that the reason why God is appearing in that context, in that in that setting, so to speak, is it alludes to the um, it alludes to the situation for the Jewish people then. That they were in tremendous pain. In other words, they were in a, a state of, of um, slavery and servitude and oppression, but they weren't being consumed. In other words, they're st- still around. And this defines the resilience of our people that come, what, what's the expression in, no, hell or high water is another expression, but come whatever may come, including fire, right? Literally and figuratively, we're not being consumed. We're here, we're not going anywhere. So that's, again, a message about the, if you want to meditate on the image of a burning bush, thorns, it's on fire, but it's not being consumed. It hasn't always been pretty in our history, and it wasn't pretty then in Egypt. But God is saying that these are people that even though they're burning, they're still not being consumed. They're still remaining plugged in. They're still where they need to be. So, Again, not burning literally, but maybe also literally throughout history, right? There's been plenty of times when that's been a thing. Um, but we're not being consumed, and that's been our motto, if you will, or um, our way of, of, of dealing with the pressures of history, or been our, been our responses, we're not going anywhere. So that's another insight on the burning bush. It also speaks to the idea of burning and not being consumed. I'm shifting gears now, just I'm giving you a, a different explanation. When you get into these verses, in general, Torah, you have 70, you know, 70 facets, 70 different perspectives. I'm going to give you a second perspective. I'm not giving you 70 today. I'm giving you a second one. All right? What's the second perspective? It's different, but it's, it's another perspective on the burning bush that's not being consumed. That each of us has a fire. Each of us has a passion toward holiness. And that passion, hopefully, the ideal is that it should never be satisfied. In other words, we should never feel like, oh, I've arrived. Oh, I'm connected. Ah, that's it. I've I've reached the utmost of my spiritual potential. And now I'm done. We should never feel that we should always be burning with this passion for God and spirituality and never be consumed, never have it, you know, go away. We should always be in that state of yearning and never in a state of, you know, complacency. It's okay to be okay, but never in a state of complacency, which takes away our drive towards something greater. Does that make sense? The idea of the fire burning, keeping the fire burning? Yes? Passion, innovation. Listen, this is also true in business. If you have a business, right, we should always be looking. We should keep the fire stoked. The moment we become complacent, you know, I, I have a company. I have three letters of a company that, uh, that teach us about the dangers of complacency. You ready? AOL. Remember when AOL ran the, ruled the internet? This is not a knock against them, I'm just saying. The reality is that they were the kings of, uh, of computing. I received seven hours of free internet on a CD every week from them, right? You remember that. And what happened? I don't know what happened, but I'll tell you this. If companies stop innovating, if the fire, if the fire, is, you know, if the fire goes out, it's a very short thing. But the point is not about business, although it's true. The point really is about spirituality, keeping the fire keeping the fires stoked and burning. 
Okay, I'm going to share my screen with you as we go through these verses. I told you we're filling it in. By the way, I'm doing a lot of talking. At any point, jump in with a question, a comment, an insight. Really, um, feel free to jump in. Any jumping in. Jump in while it's warm. Okay. Sandrine, I saw you go for a button. I wasn't sure if you were jumping in or just... <laughs> no, I'm kidding. All right. Got it. I have to do to I, I know the I know the feeling. No, don't worry about it. Okay, so the screen is shared once again. Oh, okay. Next point that I want to point out. Okay, it's Moses sees the burning bush, but look what he says to himself. Let me now turn and see this great spectacle. He notices something weird or unusual, and he says, "Let me pay attention to this." And look at verse four. The Lord saw that he had turned to see. How? Here's my point. How many times in life has there been something remarkable and we completely missed it because we didn't have time to pay attention to the little things, to the little miracles in front of us. God sees that who is Moses? Moses is the type of guy who when he sees something, he stops. He's, what do they call it? Stops and smells the roses? Something like that? There's some sort of um, expression like that? Stop and smell the roses? Moses, ah, Moses and roses. Moses is a guy who stops and smells the roses. He says, there's a burning bush. It's not being consumed. Let me see what's going on. And then the Torah says, God saw that he stopped and turned to see. Then God speaks to him. What would have happened? Can you imagine? What would have happened had Moses been, huh, that's bizarre. You don't see that every day. And he moves on because he has places to go and people to see. We do that all the time. You and I do that all the time because we're so busy. We have so many places to go. We have no time for burning bushes. We have no time for these types of things. But who knows what kind of miracles and what kind of messages we're missing by being so busy. Are you with me on what I'm saying? Yes? Mark, go ahead. Yeah, I've got a nice note here actually in my Rashi. Um, this is about the bush being consumed. It says it's from Psalms, but then there's also Tosafos that says here. It says that, that verse expresses the thought that God, as it were, shares the distress of Israel. Similarly, by revealing himself in a bush whose thorns inflict pain, God showed that he shares in Israel just, shares Israel's distress that he too, as it were, were in pain. Isn't beautiful, it? beautiful. That's, that would be our third, our third explanation, this one from Rashi. I love it. God is in the pain with us, and that's a theme that we find throughout, throughout Torah. By the way, you could ask, I don't mean you specifically, but we, you and I could ask, well, if God knows the pain, if God feels the pain, then why did he let it go for 210 years? It's a valid question. Don't, I don't have a good answer. It's, I, I, I'll put that up there. I'm going to take that question. You ready? I'm going to hang it up there on the wall next to why do bad things happen to good people? Why does God allow suffering? You know, why did Joseph have to be away from his father? All of these questions... I'm going to hang that, I'm going to hang that all together. When I, let you, when I get the answer, don't trust it because only God has the answer. So if I give you an answer, then take it with a grain of salt because there's no, there's no real answer. I mean, we can speak about it. We're never going to really define it. But yeah, God is with us in our suffering. God is with us now in this exile. But again, so why doesn't God fix it? It's my question also. Let's continue. It's the Rebbe's question also, by the way. The Rebbe, I can't tell you how many times the Rebbe spoke passionately and cried at Fabrengans, right, for, in Brooklyn about Gullo's exile, suffering, 
loss of life, etc. And there's no answer. Even a Rebbe doesn't have an answer. Because it's not, it's not, it's not an answerable question. Okay, let's continue inside. We're going to do a few more insights, and then we'll, we'll just, um, at some point, we'll close it out and pick it up tomorrow. Um, oh, the shoes. What happens with the shoes? God says, take off your shoes, right? Take off your shoes. What are you wearing, sandals? Come on. What kind of, Crocs? No way. All right, what's the deal with the shoes? By the way, it's not, I'm not anti-Crocs. I'm just trying to find something to say. So what's the deal with taking off the shoes? The place that you stand, God says, is holy soil, and thus there should not be a separation, a barrier between your feet and the ground. The idea, people typically wore leather footwear, and at the time, synthetic materials were not invented yet or were not around, so they typically wore leather shoes. This is one of the reasons why we do not wear leather shoes on Yom Kippur. It's a holy day, holy ground. It's a reason why the priests in the temple, I don't know if you know this, they served in the temple barefoot. Did you know that? The Kohanim in the temple? Yeah? Mark, are you ready to sing barefoot for us? I'm kidding. In the temple, I don't know if the Levites, I don't know if the Levites... Um, did that, but the, the Kohanim... Wash the feet. Huh? We were supposed to wash the feet. You're supposed to, yeah, you're supposed to wash the feet of the priest. It's a whole thing. So the idea here is to be grounded. That's what it means to be grounded, especially when you're dealing with holy soil, Batman. It's the idea of being grounded and being connected and not being separate because we're meant to take the holiness and infuse it and not have a barrier of separation. So that's a little bit of insight into taking... Your shoes off. Okay. Oh, one second, one second. Let me, let me explain. Let me explain. Typically, we do wear shoes because typically the ground could corrupt us. But when you're standing on holy soil, you can stand directly on it and, uh, and, and enjoy it. Okay, let's continue. Um, I'm, I'm fast forwarding a little bit. Okay, I want to share with you this. I, I'm going to do one more insight and then we're going to close it out for today, for now. Um, when Moses asked God, what's your name? When they, he says, I'm going to go to the people. They're going to ask me, what is God's name? I don't even know what to answer. And God says, asher I will be what I will be. You know what that sounds like, at least at first glance? That sounds like, you know, you ever hear people say, it is what it is. It is what it is, man. It is what it is. God, Moses says to God, what's your name? I'll be what I'll be. It is what it is. I am who I am. What kind of answer is that? So I'm sure there are ways to explain Again, there's 70 facets of Torah. I'm sure there are multiple ways of explaining it. I want to share with you the explanation that resonates with me personally, and I hope it resonates with you as well. Ehyeh asher ehyeh means I will be with them like I have been with them. And to back to Mark's point, God is essentially saying here what he indicated with the visage, with the image of the burning bush, is that, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. To understand this, let me explain Moses' question. Moses says, when I go to the people and I tell them that God sent me, they're going to say, what's his name? And I'm not going to be able to answer them. Does Moses really think that the first thing that people are going to say is, what's God's name? That's the first thing they're going to ask? What's Moses saying? I'm going to go to the people. They're going to say, what's his name? And I won't have an answer. I'm out. What kind of weird scenario is that? No. According to Kabbalah and Chassidus, 
Here's what it means. Moses is saying, I'm going to go to the people and I'm going to tell them, God sent me to rescue you. And you know what they're going to say? What's his name? Where has he been until now? That's what they're going to ask. What's his name really means? No, where has he been until now? Oh, suddenly God has heard us. Suddenly God is here. I alluded to this before, right? In the question, right? Suddenly God is here. Where has God been all this time for hundreds of years? What should I say to them? For, to that challenge of where have you been all this time, what shall I say to them? And God says, not giving a name, right? Call him God for all, for all, for all anyone cares, right? And this name, Eyesher, Eyesher, is never used again. So what kind of name is he giving him? He's not giving him a name. He's answering the question. The question is, what kind of God abandons his people? And the answer is, Eyesher, Asher Eyesher. I will be with them as I was with them. I've been with them the whole time. It might look like I've abandoned them, but I've been with them. That's the answer to the question. I even believe that although this is discussed in Kabbalah and Chassidus, I believe that Rashi even says this. Here we go. Rashi says, I will be with them in this predicament, what I will be with them in their subjugation by other kingdoms. Right? In other words, I'm with them here. I'll be with them in future exiles. But here's what you need to know. If they ask, what kind of God, what kind of God abandons his people? What kind of God that allegedly loves his people abandons his people? Answer them, I am with them. I will be with them. I was with them. I am with them. So why does suffering still happen? I revert back to what I said before. If you answer that question, then you're God. We don't have an answer to that question. We cannot have an answer to the question because we can't see everything. We can't see the entire story from beginning to end. We can't see the past from the beginning before the beginning. We can't see the future past our noses. We can't see the whole picture. We don't know. We can't fathom this entire plan. But here's what God says. If you think for a moment that I haven't been with you, that I haven't been in this thorn bush on fire with you, you should know that that is a mistaken notion. I ehyeh, asher ehyeh, I am with you. So tell the people, ehyeh has sent you. The one that's been with you has sent you. Is that going to answer the question logically? Does God give a, a logical answer as to why suffering? No. But God says, hopefully this will provide some comfort. Know that I am with you, even in the darkest of times. That was a comfort for them then in Egypt. And please, God, it's a comfort for us now. The greatest comfort, though, of course, will be with the coming of Mashiach, with a better world and an end to all human suffering. May it be speedily in our days and let us say, Amen. All right, so that is it for today. Trust me, as much as we covered today, and we did cover a lot and a lot of insights, there's much more to cover, but I hope this was a sampling, a good sampling of today's um, portion. We're gonna, tomorrow, we pick it back up. Please, God, God willing, 12 noon, same bad time, same bat Zoom channel. Questions, comments before we close it out? The floor is Question. yours. Yes, Ray. Um, how does the ground corrupt them? You said something about... Yeah, usually we wear shoes. The reason why we wear shoes is to keep us separated. So, for example, the world could be... I'm going to use the word dangerous. The world could be a corrupting place, a dangerous place, which means that if you jump all in... I mean, you can get very much involved in all sorts of shtuyot, mishagasin. You can get involved in all sorts of things that are not only a waste of time, but also unhealthy, right? You can go down rabbit holes, you know, online. You can go down rabbit holes on social media. You can get, you can, it can develop anxieties and pressures and fears, all by 
um, uh, what's the engaging with the world. The world can be a dangerous place. I think that's 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 obvious to anybody who's uh, who's walked a few miles on the ground. So the earth could be very dangerous, which is why we put a filter between us. In other words, do I need to have all of the influence of the world in my head? No, I don't have to have open channels, whatever that means, euphemistically, right? Going to my brain, whatever anybody puts out there, all the destructive, dangerous, horrific, hateful, spiteful, vengeful things out there in the world, online, social media, in public, whatever. I have to have that all in my head? I don't. So we put a barrier between us. But when it's Yom Kippur, when you're standing on a hallowed ground in the temple, you don't need any barriers. You're ready to go. And again, the barrier doesn't mean that we shouldn't connect with the earthliness. We should. But it should all be all about elevation. It should always be about elevation. And that's why we have to be careful that we go in, you know, like when you're going in, stepping into a hot bath, you go in, you dip a toe in. It's like, is it okay? Uh, uh, maybe not. Right? So you, you go in, you tread carefully. And that's the idea. We tread carefully in life with shoes until we get to those places that we can go all in without shoes. Okay, I hope that makes sense. Questions, comments? Mark? Yeah, Ari, I've got a question. It's actually the Rashi on the 14th Pasuk here about I shall be what I shall be. Um, then he goes on, I shall be with him during this trouble, what, what I shall be with him, uh, uh, the subjugation, the, the hands of other kingdoms, he goes on. Anyway, the note on that uh, says Moses asked two questions, and he said, uh, what is this? Uh, Rosh explains that Moses put a question to God after the first statement. The first, second statement is in response to that statement. In other words, he had, the first statement, he said, say my name is uh, Eya, Asher Eya. But then there's a longer statement. There's a longer name. Is the longer name the Tetragamatron, or is that just, I will be with him during their trouble? Uh, let me see. The note says uh, God explained that he had not intended that longer name, which alludes to future get calamities, be revealed at the point at this point to the children of Israel. No, I believe that Ahia is the is the shorter name, and Ahia Asher Ahia is the longer name. In other words, Ahia means I'm with them. Ahia Asher Ahia means I'm with them, like I'll be with them in future predicaments. And that's why you could ask, well, why mention future predicaments? That's the longer name. I think. That's my understanding. It's my understanding. But the whole story doesn't make sense. Because if you want to know God's name, it's Yudke Vavke, it's Elohim, it's Hashem Elohim. The whole Ehyeh is, is really, if you, if you really think about it, it's answering a specific question. Moses is saying, what's your name? What kind, of, what, kind of, what kind of God are you? I mean, Moses challenges God. What kind of God allows human suffering like this? Especially those who allegedly are his people. Like, How, how do you allow that? And, and, and that's going to be the question posed to me. I'm going to come and say, God says, let my people go, guys. We're ready to go. I'm going to go to Pharaoh. This is the message. Guys, start packing. And they're going to say, Johnny, come lately. Like, where you been? No, right? Where you been? The soup's cold. We've been waiting for you for a while. Like, what's going on? It's like, okay, it's great that you're showing up now, but what, what kind of business is this? What's the answer? And God's answer is, can't explain it, You'll never understand it, but know and believe I am with you. Does that help? For many people, for many people, going through challenge and suffering, I can't tell anybody how to feel, but I can tell you this from both personal experience 
and from anecdotal, evidence, anecdotal experience from people telling me their own experiences, that a person who believes, a person who feels that God is with them in their challenge, it can help them get through, climb through, and get to the other side of the challenge. Does that explain why it happens? No, not, not doing that. But it can help a person get through. God says, eh, yeah, sure, eh, yeah. I'll be what I'll be. I am, I am with you. I will be with you. I was with you. And that hopefully should pr- provide some solace. Not soulish, something else. But some solace in our travails. Okay, question, comments. Are we good? I am very grateful that you joined me today. I again apologize about the change of plans and not doing it in person, but I'm very grateful that we have so many friends with us studying Torah together, Sandrine and Ray and Mark and Donna and Ariella and Christy and Stephanie. It's great to see you all. And um, I wish you a wonderful day. We'll, be, we'll, we'll join together tonight at 7.30 for Torah studies. Our exploration will be in another, on this reading, Another commentary, I'm going to tease it a little bit. I'm going to tease it a drop. Another commentary which explains that when Moses says, why are you sending me? What he meant was, actually maybe it's, it refers to a little bit later in, the, in tomorrow's reading. Either way, he's saying, don't send me, a temporary redeemer. Go send Mashiach to finish the job for all time. Aha, if you're interested in the difference between Moses and Mashiach, Join us tonight at 7.30 for Torah studies. Okay. That's it. Sorry? Get well soon. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Listen, being with you guys and studying Torah, that's, uh, that's better than a bowl of chicken soup. All right. Maybe it's, maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's, it's, it's a close, uh, it's a close second. All right. We'll see you guys. See you soon. See you a little bit later. Take care. Stay healthy. Be well, everybody. Take care. Have a wonderful day. Pleasure.